Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. So I'm asking you right now, you know each and every individual heart, God. You know the heartbeat of each and every one of us, Lord God. So I'm asking you this day, God, to appear inside of us, Lord God. To touch us, anoint us, Lord God, direct us and guide us, Lord God. I ask you to strengthen, Lord God, and anoint this day, God, I pray. Touch us, God. I love and I thank you, God, for what you're going to do. I praise you this day. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, we welcome you here this day. We appreciate you coming. Thank you for being here. I thank you for what I already feel in the Lord. I thank you for his presence and for his goodness. And I just, um, I'm coming to church just not because it's Sunday. I'm thankful for what I feel in the Lord and for what I know in the Lord. And I just, um, I was thinking about today and I don't know, I, I think about Brother Ward sometimes. And one thing I remember him telling me that, uh, I don't know why I remember, but I remember him saying that uh, if you was going to meet him, and he just used it 10 o'clock as an example, and and he asked you to meet him at 10 o'clock, and it was 5 after 10, he would say there's no use for you to show up because at 10 o'clock he would be gone. And um, so I, I remember telling Sister Rayleigh, I said, um, I think I'm going to like this guy. Um, because if, if you're looking at somebody that really, I'll just say, I appreciate time, um, for just what it means. And, and really, and truly God gave us time for us just to gauge things. I mean, time really at times can, can have a a hold on us and it can really drive us and, and, um, but we catch ourselves and wondering, you know, what it must have been like, we, what it must have been like to live in the past, or, or as we say, when times was simpler, or, or come home from being rushed all day and think, man, what must it have been like to just live when I didn't have to rush like this, and just come home, and just, when you see someone, you could just actually have the time to stop and talk to them, and just to actually to sit down on the porch and just swing your feet and talk to them. And I remember the times that of both of my grandfathers, um, of me talking to them. And, and even as a, a, a young man, I, re, I really enjoyed just listening to them talk. And as I've said before, can I remember any? I'm sure I remember some of the stories, but not all of them. But I just enjoyed listening to them telling me situations that happened in their life. And 
that can be one frame of mind or even when you flip that over and you go to the future. And really, though, when you really boil it down, it can really be a, a deception that we can, we can get into because we can get to the point that we think that what we're doing or what we can do is we get into this point that we forget about right now. And, and, and what my point is is we come in the church sometimes and we're so driven about the, what life has pushed us or, or we're so to the point that we're so fearing about what's in the future that we forget about the right now. And I come in and I'm so, I'm so longing about where God has touched me in the past of, of God, what would it be like just to come in here? I know you've touched me in the past and what would it be like to be coming here and to just have God to touch me like he did before and then or come in here and I'm so worried about what's going to happen in the future and I in a few minutes where the board is saying it's time to go home and I've missed the now I've missed the right now I've just come in and I've just allowed the enemy to rob me I've lived in the past or I've jumped to the future and I forgot about right now but it's it's the present it's the right now that God wants to touch us in. Right now is where God wants to minister to, to, to us. And really and truly, as, as much as I love the concept of time, really and truly the right now is the only area that I can touch my eternity. That's it. That's it. I've only got right now, right now, if I will take with what I don't believe that we've come in here by accident. We can come in you can say, you can say, well, we come to church every Sunday. It's on our schedule. I know to do it. But do you come to church out of heaven? Or is it a drawing within you that draws you here? Do you have, as David said, a desire to come into the house of God? I believe we have a desire to come into the house of God. Because it's that desire that's brought us in here. I'm not coming here just because my parents took me to church. I'm not coming here just because my wife says, it's time to go to church. I'm coming here because there is a desire that's created in me, that God put in me, that draws me here. Because I tell you, and truly, I'm man enough, if I wanted to stay at the house, I would have stayed at the house. But God, God has put a desire to, to, within me. So when I come in here, that desire right now is how I can touch my eternity. And that truly fascinates me because eternity is one thing that I really can't even comprehend. But if I'll let God touch me right now, then that will affect my eternity. And I can do that because it's the present right now. If I can forget the, if, if, if I can just leave the past, let God take care of the future, because that's why he taught us that he's praying. Give us this day. Give us this day. Take care of today. It don't matter. It don't matter what's been said, what's been told to you that's going to happen in the future. Take care of today. Worry about today. I shouldn't have said that. Don't worry about today. You can see how I'm programmed. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm flesh just like you are. Let God take care of today. And if he'll take care of today, as the Bible says, then he'll take care of tomorrow. So when we come in, we just, we get in that. We get in that mindset. We just, man, 
you know, it was just so beautiful how God touched me. And he does. We should build on that and not dream on that. Build on it. Don't dream on it. You understand what, what I'm saying? So when we do that, it, do, it leads us to the present, to the right now. Because I don't believe that we've come in here just to go through the motion and just to go through this. And so I've tried. It's been a while, so as I've said before, if you don't like my motocross illustrations, they won't last long. So, But there's one that fits here so good that I just can't help myself. i got to use it. In racing, most of the time it's, it's the young ones that, that do this. But they'll get to racing, and most of the time you have two parents that they'll get to noticing that their children, one of them most of the time in a race, one of them will cut the other one off, and they'll start what is known as block passing. So for long, just his nature will get the best of him, so the next curve, he blocks him. So then all of a sudden, they're blocking each other. And most of the time, even though they're competitors, most of the time, both of the parents just look at each other and say, you know what, we got to do something about this. So they'll go to their pit board, and this is what they'll write on their pit board. Race the track. You have lost your focus. You've made this about something that it ain't about. You've made this about something that you are cutting people off. You've lost your focus. You're racing, the, you're racing your competitor, and it's the track is your competitor. So their parents would go, and they say, look, quit this. And they would point at the other fellow and do like this. Quit making him your race. He's not your race. Their track is the race. And we come in here and we go through the motions and we thinking, you know, all of this, all of these things that's overwhelming me. And God is saying, no, no, you've lost your focus. I'm God. I can do anything. Race the track. Paul said, we have this race that is set before us. Do not lose your focus. When somebody comes up to you and hits the, hits the lenses and our focus goes out, God said, don't let that worry you. We have just lost our focus we have to come in here and the lord's anointed have to say look you've got to race the track you have lost your focus when you come in here and then all of a sudden what's happening is they're block passing one another and what happens when one stops early then the other and it's known as in motocross it's known as brake check when he would go in early and lock up the rear tire and the other wouldn't have to lock up his rear tire to keep from hitting him what happened is the race is going on Basically, they're leaving the two that was leading the race. They're leaving them, and they're getting caught up with each other. And, but the race is going on, and the parents are screaming, race the track. Quit racing each other and race the track. And so that's my point. It's just life. Time overwhelms us, and sometimes things ahead of us, we just fret ourselves to death worrying about what's coming, and God is saying, no, no, no. Let me take care of that. You just give us this day, our daily bread, and you let me worry about what's ahead because tomorrow I'll take care of it when it comes because you are mine. I bought you with a price, and I gave myself for you, 
and nothing shall by any means take you out of my hand. So I gave myself to you, and in doing so, nothing, nothing can do this. So you are where God wanted you. He put you here, and then there's nothing. We have grace. We have grace to do this. And that is why that we have to literally, literally guard our mind each and every day, each and every day. We do have a race. This Christian race that we're in, we do it. We do it. I love time. Time dominates us. Some worse than others. But we do have a Christian race that we have to run. But when we do it, when we read God's word, and when we can take the experiences from the past and build on it and have faith for the future, God will take care of it. And when we do it like it should be, and we race the track, run this race that is set before us, then we can do it. Now, I want you to turn with me to Psalms 23. This is what I want to read. This is where I want to start. I want to go to Psalms 23. There is so much here. I have a title. I'm going to take it from one of the verses, but I just don't want to pick out one verse. There's only six verses. Six being the number, and I'm not going to finish that, so I'm a numbers man, so I'll leave that alone. All right, Psalms 23, number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, this is strong here. He maketh me. If you've ever had children, <laughs> you, know what, you know what the Lord is saying here. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, this is where I'm telling you there is a lot. This is read a lot. At a lot of different situations. But verse 5, if, if they would put verse 5 up there, this is where I took my title from. Here a while back I was reading this. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. If there's one thing I love of the Lord, is he'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. God will see us through. And thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. And I was sitting there thinking about that. And this is my title. Your table is ready. Your table is ready. Hallelujah. God's going to do whatever he has to do. I don't care if the enemy had to walk in the doors with you. Just let him come on in. Because your table is ready. Number one. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. This is in a personal sense. I'm going to go through this, and then, and then I want to speak on something else. The Lord is my shepherd. This is in a personal sense. David was writing. He said, I shall not want, spoke as an act of faith. He maketh me to lie down. 
the man that wrote the shepherd's book said there's four conditions that have to be met for a sheep to lay down. The first one is they can't be afraid. The second one says there can't be no friction among them. Now, this is physical sheep. Number three, there can't be no parasites. And number four, they cannot be anxious about food. The four conditions, literally, on sheep that has to be met before they can lay down. Number three, verse three, he restoreth my soul. Now this, I look at it, is the Lord taking back of what was his to start with. He restoreth my soul. For his namesake, because of his righteousness, he does this. In life, the Bible says in verse 4, he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your presence is with me. That is the reason I'm not going to fear, because of what he has given us. Your presence is with me. And then verse 5, when we feast from the Lord, there comes an anointing. He says, that prepares the table before me, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I wrote it like this. When you feast to the Lord, there will come an anointing. And when you do that, then you will have everything you need to conquer the enemy. The Lord will do that. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I thought, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And I thought, follow me? Follow me? Shouldn't goodness and mercy lead? And boy, that's just, I guess it was a moment of weakness on my part. But I thought, well, Lord, that is wrote correctly. Because that is what got Israel in trouble when they was in the wilderness. Because they said, we don't want the Lord anymore. We want man to lead us. And that's what really got the Lord so angry. Because God has always said, I want to lead you. Let me lead you. So I wrote it down like this. If the Lord always goes before us, then it's just a natural result for goodness and mercy to be the result of that. If God leads us, then this is just going to be the result is goodness and mercy is going to follow us. And then he takes verse 3, says he's going he's to restore our soul. Romans 6.23 just plainly says it like this. The wages of sin is death. We know Jesus himself literally was the Lamb of God. He was the supreme sacrifice. So the Bible says is when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So when we see, other words, it's like this. He says, I, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because literally... The wages of sin is death. Because literally, when it comes to a biblical point of view, death was literally passed upon all of us. He says, the wages of sin. In other words, the return of your investment. For what I get for investing in this body, I get death. But David says here, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here it is, if I repent of my sins and ask God to forgive me, then all I'll ever see is just the shadow of death because of the goodness and the mercy. God was the Lamb of God. He took, he paid the price. He went to Calvary. He was the Lamb of God. So therefore, he was the one that is restoring 
our souls. So he was the one. He was the supreme sacrifice. So therefore, all we ever see, the the closest I'll ever come to it, as far as a a spiritual death, if I do it the biblical way, all I'll ever see is just the shadow. I'll never see the death of what the biblical uh, death it talks about. All I'll ever see is this. So when God clothed Adam and Eve, when he did this, this was the first recorded death when he took the animal and slain it. This was the atonement for their sin that they did. And literally, when we see this, I believe it was a lamb. That's just me. He took when Adam and Eve sinned, when he went back, God went back, he took, slain the animal, took the blood, the blood made an atonement for their sin. So in John 19.30, when Jesus hung on the cross, and when he said, it is finished. Now I'm telling you, if we could literally understand and fully comprehend all that is captured in that phrase, it is finished. It's finished. I'm telling you, spiritual-wise, it's done. We just, we wrestle within ourselves, within our flesh, but I'm telling you, spiritual-wise, it's done. It is took care of. It is finished. It is done. It is took care of. Literally, because the Bible tells us the next thing that was done, soon as the Lord did this, the Bible says, soon as his spirit left, that the veil was torn in two. So literally, thousands of blood sacrifices that had taken place previously up to that point, God, just as Brother Boyd said, he said in Joel that he was going to pour out his spirit among all flesh, that he was going to do this. And we know that God did this. So he told Adam and Eve, he says, do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day that thou do this, you shall surely die. So the day that they partook of that, they hit the time clock. The Bible says Adam died 930 years. So, I mean, I, the way it was explained to me is just like, and, and I believe this. The Bible says the day you eat it, the day you shall die. So we know that Adam didn't physically die that day, but I believe he hit the time clock. When he partook of that fruit, bam, he hit the clock. 930 years later, his body died. Spiritually, he died that day. But it took his body 930 years to die. So Jesus took, made the, uh, killed the animal, made a blood sacrifice because of him dying spiritually. So that's what started the blood sacrifice. The Lord did this. Now he took, and for years and years and years, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You, this was God's design. It was just going to be this way. You had to take a lamb. You had to offer a lamb with no blemish. The lamb had to be perfect. The blood had to be spilled. The blood had to be offered for an atonement, a, a, a covering, so to speak. So, in the Lord, this is what is truly unique to me. So, Adam's over there. He's telling the Lord... You know, it, it, you know, everything was all right till you give me this woman. She's the reason that all this happened. And then Adam's, Adam's hearing out of one ear, you know, the Lord's telling the woman how we're going to fix this. And Adam, and Adam is saying, well, I don't hear me involved in this. And the Lord said, you're not involved in this. It's me 
in the seat of the woman, we're going to fix this. And Adam said, but what about me? He said, no, you'd contaminate it if you was involved in this. So right from, th- this is God and his mercy. The one, as Adam's, the one that Adam's over there blaming that contaminated everything, God said, I'm going to take her and her seed and me, and we're going to fix the problem. And, th- and this is what, this is what's the, the mercy that I, I just can't comprehend. Because you take the one, the, uh, the Cain that, kill, that killed Abel, and, and God takes and put a mark on him that you can't kill him. It just seems like God would have slew him right there. How dare you raise your hand up against your brother? But God puts a mark on him that nobody will kill him. Now, here's mercy that we just can't understand. We can't understand that, that God in his mercy would do that. I'm telling you, Adam is over there blaming the one and saying she's the reason, and God is over there saying she's the one, she's going to be the one that's going to help fix this. We're going to take her, and we're going to take the seed of the woman, and I'm going to come make myself a body, and we are going to fix this problem. And so he takes and he does this. But in the process, in, in, in two, one thing, I, I, I guess it's, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of greed in me. But where he takes, you look at this anyhow you want to. But, it, it, I mean, it's in the Bible. So the, but where the, the serpent, the Lord says, you know what? You know what I'm going to do with you? This is the way I look at it. You had a hand in this. I made man of what? Of the dust of the ground. So guess what you're going to eat the rest of your life? The dust of the earth. Literally. I mean, it's in the Bible. God said, you're going to eat dust the rest of your life. And guess what man's made out of? Dust. You're going to eat the dust the rest of your life. So God takes from the very beginning, he creates a solution to fix this. He makes the blood an atonement for the sin, and then it starts, and then he comes up through thousands of years of man, and then he takes the priest. They go in once a year to make an atonement for the sins. We see that, and so he takes and he gives us an example of what to use. And then he takes in, in so that we can overcome the enemy. And God has a plan in all of this. And then turn with me or just read on the screen if you want to. Look with me in um, Daniel on uh, the sixth chapter. I just want to make a couple points right quick. In Daniel 6.22, this is where Daniel is thrown in the lion's den. Daniel 6, 22, he says, My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocence was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Now, here is the Lord taken, literally. Here's Daniel. Sometimes the situations we find ourselves in, that's why I'm saying your table is ready. We find ourselves in situations that we just don't we just don't have a clue. We really don't know why. And sometimes, and probably, we'll never know why. Daniel just found out all of a sudden 
that here I am, I'm being cast into a lion's den. Now, literally, a lion's den. But what was the good thing about it is because Daniel, they made this decree, and they go to Daniel, and they just said, look, we got this decree. You can't look towards Jerusalem. But I'm not going to read it, but there's one passage in the Bible where the Bible says that Daniel went to his room in his windows being open. Where the Bible says being open, I got circled in my Bible. So the way I like to look at it is Daniel never even shut his window. Make all the laws you want, but when it comes to me praying towards Jerusalem, you ain't affected me. I'm praying towards Jerusalem. So Daniel prayed. They threw him in the lion's den, but here's my point. They threw him in there. Now, God not only shut the lion's mouth, but in shutting the lion's mouth, he ceased the roar that come from the lion. Because the New Testament tells us the devil is as a roaring lion that seeketh to devour. The roar is what is just almost as frightful as the rest of it. So he, not, he did a twofold thing. So I don't, I don't know if, if Daniel had some Elijah in him or not, but if he did, I could just see him saying, What's wrong, cat? Angel got your tongue? I don't hear nothing. But God not only shut their mouth, he shut the roar too. So God said he would feed us even literally in front of the enemy. And I look at it, I, I don't look at it like, um, like years ago we used to go to when uh, me and Sister Rayleigh, um, uh, early in our marriage we used to go to Pizza Hut and... I mean, if you know enough about me, um, I like things quiet. And, I mean, you go to Pizza Hut and you eat and there is enough racket. That... And I'm thinking, you know, I'm actually paying for this. <laughs> what is wrong with this picture? When I could take this home and be with my wife and just love and caress her in the quietness of my home. And, but that's the way I, I, I look at where, where God said he prepares the table in the presence of our enemies. I don't look at it as chaos going on and God, and God nourishing us. I don't look at it that way. I look at it, God said, I don't care. I'll shut their mouth. I won't even allow them to roar. I won't allow nothing from them. I will nourish you, and you won't even know they're there. And that's the way I look at it. So he takes Daniel. He does this. Now... This next part is a little gory, but it's Bible, and I want you to understand it. Verse 24, those that accused Daniel, verse 24, and the king commanded, and they which brought those men which had accused Daniel, they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lion had mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Now, it, this is what it's saying. The Persians would do this. Anybody that did this, they would take their wives, their children, and it says, break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. This means, just bear with me now, they didn't even make it to the bottom of the den. I know this is a little gory, but I'm telling you, that is a difference with God being with you in the den and that's the difference with God not being with you in the den. And that's the reason. I know it's gory, but that's, where, that's why I wanted to say this. And I'm telling you, that is Bible. This is, this is 
with God feeding you with the enemy and God feeding you and him pulling back. So the Bible says literally they threw him in and they didn't even make it to the floor. And just if that's a little gory, I'm, I apologize for it. Okay, now one more before I, before I go. I want to, the, the three Hebrew children in Daniel 3, the Bible tells us 3 and look at 16. Um, just back up just a little bit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in 3 and 16. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods or worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, if I've ever believed anything, I believe here again is, is three young men that here is um, some mothers that as they nurse their children would tell them, there's only one God. There's only one God. No matter what you're told, no matter where you go, no matter what happens, you get this ingrained in you. So I believe they taught it from the very, literally from the very youngest. As soon as they got them home, I don't believe they waited late. I believe they literally when the bonding was being done, I believe they was whispering it in their ears and telling them. Because we see that, and they said that where they said we're not careful, other words, in our language, we'd say, just say, look, buddy, we don't have to think about this. Because where he went wrong, he says, you need to bow down and serve our gods. Now, when he said that, he had, the king had already messed up. If he would have said that, if he would have said, "Bow down and worship our God," they maybe they would have listened to him. They would have at least told him, "Are you talking about Jehovah?" They would have at least had a dialogue with him. But when he said, "Bow down and serve our gods," they said, "Buddy, we don't have to think about it. It's over. You know, throw us in all you want." So just where the Bible says that they took and they literally put everything on them they had, wrapped all of their coats, their hosen, literally put everything they had. So I believe we can literally take that sometimes that we go through things and it involves everything we got. Everything we got seems like literally goes through the trial with us. And so the Bible says that they took, they did that, everything, everything. But Paul is the one that says, Paul is the one that says that in our weakness we're made strong. I want to read, uh, look at the same chapter 3 and look at verse 27. Now, 3 and 27, And the princes, the governors, the captains, the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor the hair of their head was singed, neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. In other words, we would say it like this, everybody that needed to know was there. And it's seeing just what, just what happened when you take these men, throw them in the fire, and all of a sudden God's with them and they come out. So just seeing just what happened. Now, turn with me over to, um, turn with me over to Titus 11, uh, Titus um, 
Second chapter. Now, in Titus, the second chapter, 2 and 11 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, I'm going to jump again. Go to Romans 5. Romans, the fifth chapter, uh, verse 20. If you have it, or just read it on the screen with me. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where the sin abounded, grace did the more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I've got a point in all this jumping, but I'm going to jump one more time. Turn with me to... Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus, the 12th chapter. And let's read at the 12th verse. The Bible says it like this. For I will pass through the land of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout, all, throughout your generations, and you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, what I want to do, is there is principles in this Bible that does not change. And there is some that stay the same. And I believe this principle that here is one of them. Where God told him, he says, I'm going to pass through the land. I'm going to smite the firstborn and what he wanted them to do. And, I'll, and I will try to be very, very brief about this. My point is this, God said, I'm going to take it, I'm going to destroy the firstborn of, of everyone, everyone. Now, when Moses would go to Pharaoh, he would tell him this, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. There, the end 
God got to the point, he said, Thus saith the Lord God, let my people go. So there's no mistake on who the people was. These was God's people. In the end, God told them, You take a lamb, you roast it with fire, you partake of it. If there's anything left, he told them what to do with it. But here's my point. He told them to take the blood, sprinkle it on the sides and the top. You don't put it on the bottom. You don't trample this. Put it on the sides and the top. Now, the way I look at it is what if someone, a Hebrew, would have said, if they had a conversation with another Hebrew and they said, you know, I've been listening to Moses. Moses says, we are God's people. I do not see the need of taking and applying the blood. I I just really don't. I mean, God himself said, let my people go. So I don't really see the need. But and then the other one could come back and say, yes, but Moses said, God said to take and to do this. But the point is this. The Bible says that the Lord, when he would pass over, this was going to be the sign, the blood. Not that you're a Hebrew and not that you're God's people. The blood was going to be a sign. God said, not that when I pass over you, when I see a Hebrew or when I see my people, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't it. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this was God's people. What I'm saying is this. If one of God's people had chose not to do this, then they would have lost their firstborn. Now, here's where I want to be very careful because I know my position. There are those that screaming that grace does everything in our day. Now, and I, I want to choose my words very carefully. It's like Brother Boyd Winston out. I do not want to be arrogant at all. That is not my point. But I'm telling you, there's principles that do not change. And this is one of them. We are God's people, and this word is to be obeyed. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says your flesh is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So with everything, with all the blood sacrifices, the holy of holies, man wasn't even allowed to view it. They couldn't even go in it. They couldn't even uh, go to it. They couldn't even have nothing ever to do with it. And then God is going to take and just literally take his spirit and go from that to just I'll give you my spirit and you can do with it as you wish. And grace is going to take up. Grace was given to us as a aid because my spirit is so precious that what I'm going to do it, you are in a body of flesh. So I will give you my grace to aid in helping you because as it was in the Old Testament, the priest didn't get a second chance. He was literally killed. You did it right or you died. Literally, that is what happened. So they took and they did this. They did it. They didn't get a second chance. This had to happen. So they took and... So 
we have this. We see this happening now. But my point is this. When you take and live in the day and hour in which we have, I, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to sound pharisaical about this, but what I'm saying is we have the Spirit of God. God has given us His Spirit. There's only one attribute. Listen, there's only one that is repeated in heaven constantly, and that is holy, holy, holy. That's it. God only allowed one attribute, and we know He's loving and kind, and, and His mercy endures forever. But of His holiness, that is the attribute that is constantly. It's being said right now as we speak. God is holy. He is holy. And His holiness that He give unto us is that He is just going and, it, and that He is given unto us. So we can never take, we are redeemed, as the Bible says, with the precious blood of Christ. So... With everything that God gave us, he gave us of his spirit. So that is why I think just as Moses told them to sprinkle the blood, they had to obey the word. Literally, God has given us his spirit. So we have to obey the word. And I'll leave you with this. I want to read. I didn't give them this, so I'll just, I'll just read um. I'm going to find this one scripture, and I want to read it to you. Okay, I want you to listen to this. Now, this is the Lord. This is Jesus himself speaking. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whoso, whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, my point is this. Jesus as oneness, I mean, we don't, we don't jump up and down about that verse, but as oneness Pentecostals, that just proves our theory even more because Jesus came in his flesh. That body was the sacrifice, as the Bible says, the Lamb of God. So Jesus said, if you speak against my body, I will forgive you. But if you speak against the Spirit, you have spoken against Jehovah, and I ain't forgiven that in this world or the world to come. Now, don't now as, as, as Brother Boyd, I agree with him. Blaspheming the Holy Ghost is not a one-time deal. So some people get really weird out on, over this. This, I believe, is you coming to a true knowledge of this revelation and you turning around and walking away. I really believe that. So I, the Lord is saying, now, that's what I believe that means. But that's why he is saying, if you do that, and if you just turn around and walk away, that is what we would say is, is blasphemy. You're speaking against the Spirit. So that is why I, I, I would say, when God has given us his Spirit, literally, 
the most precious thing that we'll ever, ever know, come in contact with, ever how you want to put it. That is why we still have a word to obey. That is why the, the, I don't agree with those that just says, live like you want. God don't care. I don't buy into that. I really don't buy. Because God wouldn't take literally the most precious thing that's ever been given to humanity, literally, and just say with it, do as you will. It doesn't matter. I don't believe, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all because we have too many examples. Just use a, use a just trying to just with a, a, a good intention and God just struck him dead or just trying to steady the ark with just a good intention and God struck him dead. So now we'd bring it up into our time. God has given us his spirit. He's given us grace to aid us, to help us. Because literally I've said, what do you do with someone that sins when they have the Holy Ghost? I figured it'd get quiet. That is why God has given us grace. The reason God has given us grace is because when we, I'll say we, when we sin after God gives us the Holy Ghost, we still have the breath to repent. Now, you believe that ever how you want to. But I'm telling you, that's what it all boils down to. Because if that was the Old Testament, you and me would be dead. God gave us grace. Grace is what is, that's the grace that's going to get us out of here. So he gave us grace to aid us and to help us. That is the grace. Not to do as you wish. But when you fall and make a mistake, I will give you the grace that you need to bring you back in line. Because when it comes to this, the strength, just as I said, your table's ready. So just come in and look for it because you will be nourished. I promise you. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.